With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How is everyone this morning? <laughs> As I told you before when I was here, my background is education, not preaching. I don't think I told you that it's history that I studied specifically. So I enjoy studying the past. In my case, the more ancient the event, the more interested I am in it. I even enjoy teaching it, but the, the pulpit still isn't the most comfortable conveyance of that for me, so please don't take offense if I play teacher some today. Uh, when I spoke for the first time a few weeks ago, it was on the heels of my father speaking the Sunday before, who, by the way, just retired at year's end after 45 years of ministry. This time I'm following Reverend Ron Thomas, Don's father, my father-in-law. <laughs> in whom I have a tremendous amount of respect for his witness and Christly example. So speaking today, I am humbled before you, but I pray that God will speak his word through me, that you might gain some value and inspiration from it. Let's open with prayer. Lord, today bring us your word so that we will seek a deeper understanding of you, desire a deeper relationship with you, and live a life of faithful witness. Bless our time of study this morning. Today, I want to take a look at faith. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is described this way. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Faith is hope exercised. It's hope given substance. Hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Like, we may hope for the Panthers to win. It is what we want to happen in the future. Our wishes are dreams. Faith is similar to hope, but it's amplified. Faith is the complete trust or confidence that something will occur. When my son asks me to give him a ride somewhere and pick him up later, he has faith that I'll be there to pick him up. When the doctor tells us to take a medication, we have faith that he knows what's best for our health. While we may hope for things to come, faith in things to come should begin a change in our lives now because we know those things are coming. If we have faith that a winter storm is coming, we go to the store and buy up all the milk and bread. In Christ and God's word, we have assurances of God's love and his, his plan for the world. Because of our faith in those promises, our lives are already transforming even before our hope is complete. A man was hiking alone on a mountain trail in a moment of inattention, he stumbled and fell over a cliff edge, but managed to grab hold of a small tree branch not far from the edge. Unable to save himself, he began yelling, Is anyone up there? Please help me. To his shock, there's an immediate response. I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe in me? Yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. <coughs> That's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. For a moment, the man says nothing, but then replies, Is anyone else up there? <laughs> the 
funny but true. How deep is our faith? Do we believe in him? Certainly. Do we trust him to do what is best for us from day to day? In John 20, 29, Jesus tells his apostle Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. God puts great stock in our faith in him. I think that we can best understand this through our relationship with children. How much better is it when a child will do what you say quickly, without question, trusting that you love them and know what's best for them? There are times when a parent needs this type of faith. I can think of instances with Wesley and Logan when I've called to get them away from something dangerous that they did not perceive, only to be questioned, or I didn't allow them to do something that I could see was not good for them. I'd love to say that their faith in my judgment always commands immediate compliance. But I'm sure that any of you who are parents know the more likely response. When they're little, sometimes it's the dart towards the danger you are trying to get them away from. A toddler will run towards the stairs or the street, forcing the parent to run after them and grab them. Then when they're older, it's, it's why. Why, why? I can tell you that Don and I are much more willing to answer that question after the boys have done what we asked them before they do it. Have you ever questioned something God has called you to do? In Genesis 22, God tests Abraham in a unique way. If you'd like to turn there, this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. 22.1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I, I always use the NIV. Is anyone using a different version than the NIV this morning? Do you, would one of you mind reading what it says? Verse 1. 22.1. Thank you. Uh, the NIV says sometime later, almost every other version that I found of this passage translates it as after all these things. Uh, for what it's worth, I did look at the concordance to get an idea of the original Hebrew too, and I think after all these things is a more fitting translation. But regardless, these words after all these things give us a clearer picture of this passage. It should make us question, make us ask, after what things? What had happened to prepare Abraham for this test? This was not the Abraham God commanded in Genesis 12:1, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. That Abraham did go, but he took his father's household with him. He took his father and nephew and traveled to Haran, to the edge of civilization, and waited there until his father Terah died. Does anyone know what terror means in Hebrew? It means delay. So we stopped in Haran and waited for delay to die, <laughs> and then traveled on to Canaan, uh, still bringing his nephew Lot with him. That Abraham was faithful to a point, and once he arrived in Canaan, God blessed him. But God only appeared to Abraham once he had reached Canaan, once he had answered God's call. Does God sometimes seem distant to you? Maybe he's waiting for you at the place he has called you to be. Does anyone know when God appears to Abraham again? 
It's a few chapters later, but not until he separates himself from Lot. Not until he finishes separating himself from his father's household. This was not the Abraham of Genesis 13, who, when faced with famine in the land God had given him, relocates to Egypt. Let's his wife be taken into Pharaoh's harem because of his own deception and is then reprimanded by a foreign king and sent packing back to Canaan. That must have been a long camel ride home. I imagine the esteem Abraham's family and servants had for him had fallen a few notches. At the very least, Abraham had wasted time. There and back again. But most think that along with the other riches he acquired in Egypt came the handmaiden Hagar. Abraham returns to the place where God had first appeared to him in the land. He's starting again. Sometimes when we go outside of God's will for us, we need to return to the place where we know we were last in as well. This was not the Abraham of Genesis 16 who agreed to bed Sarah's handmaiden Hagar even though God had promised him a son by Sarah. What happened because of this? Hagar became pregnant, was mistreated by Sarah, had Ishmael, a challenger to Isaac's position. Does God help those who help themselves? Well, it would certainly appear that in this case, at least the answer is no. God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son, but they were too impatient for his time. And they thought that maybe they could do it on their own. This was not the Abraham who in Genesis 20 once again deceived a foreign king about Sarah. King Abimelech's household was afflicted with disease when he took Sarah into it. And Abraham, when confronted by the king, replies in verses 11 and 12, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. Instead of asking for forgiveness here, Abraham says, I lied because of you, Abimelech, you and all the other heathens in this land. And besides, it really wasn't a lie. Excuses, not repentance. What kind of witness do you think Abraham was to Abimelech? What kind of witness are we to the world around us? So, after all these things, God tested Abraham. Why after all these things? James 1.2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. Abraham's trials and testing of his faith to this point had worked their way in his life. This Abraham's faith was mature. After the, all these things, Abraham had complete faith in his God. Verse 2, Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Wow. I know we're probably all familiar with this story, but, you know, Wow. <laughs> What type of a loving God would call a man to sacrifice his son? Not our God, right? This was savage, like a heathen God of the Canaanites. And there were gods in Canaan and throughout history that people have sacrificed children to. In 2 Kings 17.31 we read, The Avites made Nibaz and Tartak, 
and the Saphirvites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adremelech and Animelech, the gods of Saphirvam. In 2 Kings 3, 26-27, during a Moabite revolt against Israel, when the Israelites surrounded the Moabite king, reads, When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom. But they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their land. This sacrifice so horrifies the Israelites that the army lifts the siege and goes home. It is sickening. But the idea of sacrificing a child was probably a well-established form of worship in Canaan. But our God, the God of Abraham and Israel, forbids child sacrifice. In fact, it was one of the reasons the nations of Canaan were later driven from the land by the Israelites. Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 12 when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. So why is God asking this of Abraham? A test of obedience? Absolutely. But why did God choose this specific test for Abraham? Why even involve his name in something so horrifying? How does Abraham respond to the call? He says nothing. He does not equivocate like Moses in front of the burning bush or ask God to verify his wishes like Gideon in his fleeces. He doesn't even ask why. He's silent before God. We can only imagine what he may have initially thought, but in Hebrews 11:17 through 19 we read, By faith Abraham, when, tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham had absolute faith that God keeps his promises. If he was called to sacrifice Isaac, God would have to bring Isaac back from dead back from the dead to keep that promise. And so, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Abraham rises early. I can't imagine he got much sleep after God's command, but he did not hedge or hesitate here. He gathers everything he needs to fulfill the command and sets off with Isaac and two of his servants toward Moriah. Abraham understood the truth of Romans 8.28 before Paul wrote it down for us. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And even though he did not understand the command, he knew there was a reason for it, and he did as God commanded. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. For three days, God leads them into the wilderness until they reach the place God had designated. This was a special place. None of Abraham's other altars would do. And then Abraham and Isaac go on alone. What are Abraham's parting words to his servants? We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham fully intends to go through with the sacrifice, but it seems that he also fully expects Isaac to return with him. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. How old is Isaac? Verse 4 says he's a boy or, or lad in some versions. The word here just means that he is an unmarried male. So what do we really know about his age? We know that Sarah was 90 when he was born. And we know in the next chapter of Genesis, she dies at the age of 127. So 127 minus 90, he's less than 37 years old. He's old enough to take note that something strange is going on. And he's not too young a boy because Abraham piles the wood on him to carry. So he's probably in his late teens to early 30s. Old enough to resist his father or at least get away from his father if he chooses to. But there's no record of that. Then he, Abraham, reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So crisis averted. Abraham's faith tested, confirmed, and then later in this chapter rewarded. But now we're back to the question of why this specific test for Abraham? Could it be that God was demonstrating to Abraham that about 2,000 years later another father will sacrifice his only begotten son on a mountain in Moriah? because of his love for us all. Now, I don't know this for certain, but it does seem likely to me. Um, in John 8:56, Jesus tells the Pharisees, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. In verse 14 of, of Genesis 22, this chapter, Abraham called the place the Lord will provide, and to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. In Isaiah 41.8, God calls Abraham his friend. And that's repeated in, in several scriptures. What a title, God's friend. It's a title unique to Abraham. I believe that God was confiding in his friend, sharing an experience that's impossible for most of us to comprehend. Abraham's faith, tested through these chapters of Genesis, with failures and successes, 
was finally made complete. Abraham's faith was made perfect through his journey. James 2, 21 through 22, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. Um, Ken Davis, in his book, How to Speak to Youth, shares an illustration about faith that I'd like to share with all of you. In college, I was asked to prepare a lesson to teach my speech class. We were to be graded on our creativity and ability to drive home a point in a memorable way. The title of my talk was The Law of the Pendulum. I spent 20 minutes carefully teaching the physical principle that governs the swinging pendulum. The law of the pendulum is a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Because of friction and gravity, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc, until finally it is at rest. This point of rest is called the state of equilibrium, where all forces acting on the pendulum are equal. I attached a three-foot string to a child's toy top and secured it to the top of the blackboard with a thumbtack. I pulled the top to one side and made a mark on the blackboard where I let it go. Each time it swung back, I made a new mark. It took less than a minute for the top to complete its swinging and come to rest. When I finished the demonstration, the markings on the blackboard proved my thesis. I then asked how many, in the people, how many people in the room believed the law of the pendulum was true. All of my classmates raised their hand, and so did the teacher. He started to walk to the front of the room thinking that the class was over. In reality, it had just begun. Hanging from the steel ceiling beams in the middle of the room was a large, crude but functional pendulum, 250 pounds of metal weights tied to four strands of 500-pound test parachute cord. I invited the instructor to climb up on the table and sit in a chair with the back of his head against a cement wall. Then I brought the 250 pounds of metal up to his nose. Holding the huge pendulum just a fraction of an inch from his face, I once again explained the law of the pendulum he had applauded only moments before. (laughs) If the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it will swing across the room and return short of of the release point. Your nose will be in no danger. After that final restatement of this law, I looked him in the eye and asked, Sir, do you believe this law is true? There was a long pause. Huge beads of sweat formed on his upper lip. And then weakly he nodded and whispered yes. I released the pendulum. It made a swishing sound as it arced across the room. At the far end of its swing, it paused momentarily and started back. I never saw a man move so fast in my life. He literally dived from the table, deftly stepping around the still-swinging pendulum. I asked the class, does he believe in the law of the pendulum? The students unanimously answered no. So where are you on your journey? Have you followed God's call? Is there something you're holding on to that God wants you to leave behind? Are you living as he desires you to? Is your faith a witness to those around you? Are your faith and actions one? Augustine says, faith is to believe what we do not see. 
And the reward of this faith is to see what we believe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the witness of Abraham. Open our ears to your call. Give us the strength and help us to grow in our faith as he grew, so that our faith may be made complete. We look forward to the day when we will see what we believe. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.